So you guys ever find yourself, I did the last couple of weeks, um, finding myself having conversa- the same conversation over and over again. You ever feel that way? Just like you're talking to somebody else and it's just like, oh, I'm having the exact same conversation I had with so-and-so yesterday. <laughs> Anyways, I've had that happen a few times over the last couple of weeks. The people change, but the problems that people are dealing with are always the same, it seems like. A lot of the same struggles uh, same hardships. And I was thinking to myself, you know, talking to the third or fourth person, oh, not again. <laughs> it just, just happened. Um, and I, I was feeling a little weird, kind of like a broken record, because the counsel of God's word is always the same. You guys know that? This is truth. It's not like, oh, well, this truth is going to be a little different for you. No, truth is truth, okay? Um, so I was reminded that we so often go through life with struggles and trials and maybe you found yourself feeling like a broken record also in life maybe the same things over and over again you know why is it so hard to to put the socks in the hamper not just right next to them right you know or how many times uh do i have to tell you to do your homework first before you go and do that or take your vitamins every day you know, or even in ministry sometimes, there's some people that it's the same conversation, the same counsel all the time for years sometimes. Like, when are you finally going to get it? <laughs> you, know, you know what you need to do. So we come this morning to Acts chapter 25. Paul is in a place here um, uh, where he's telling the same story over and over again. So if we recall, if we go back to Acts chapter 21 and 22, we have Paul, he's there speaking to a very angry mob, a crowd that just wanted his head. How dare you come and speak of this Jesus, you blasphemer. And then we see in chapters 22 that Paul was brought before a Roman commander and got to tell his story there. And then in chapter 23, there's this Jewish council that Paul gets to go and testify before. And then last time in chapter 24, we see that he goes before the governor, Felix, there, and he's able to share. Now we've come to chapters 25 and 26 this morning. We're going to see Governor Festus and Agrippa and Bernice. And once again, we have Paul telling his story. So as you may have noticed, there's a great repetition in this section as we're going through the book of Acts. And some seem to think that this is just tedious. Why again? We already know your story. Why do we got to know that? You kept sharing it. Well, I think it's just a really good illustration for you and I of life. Think about how much repetition there is in our lives. And I think we need to embrace that and be okay with that. We live in a culture that is so consumed with entertainment. You know, like you look at a lot of different cultures in the world, they'll have one or two big things a year that they really look forward to. That's the cat's meow. We get a little disappointed daily if, oh, something didn't happen that thrilled me on social media today or I'm on my Netflix binge and the episodes just stunk and I wanted something new. It's the same old story. Aren't we that way? We, we always want something new, something exciting that when the big things do come, it's just kind of like, oh, holidays, they weren't that great. Nothing special and stuff because we've become so entertained in our culture today and we have a hard time with the norm just things repeating so what does the scriptures tell us well i believe it's galatians chapter 6 maybe verse 9 don't grow weary in doing good for in due season you shall reap there's a harvest so as believers i think we can fall into that what we would call mundane just normal always the same old but what does god call us to hey i want you to be steadfast I want you to be faithful. Yeah, there should be repetition. We should be on our knees daily. We should be in his word daily. We should not be forsaking fellowship ever. We should be sharing our faith on a regular basis. And some of you guys are doing that, and maybe you're getting bored with it. Same old, I want a little more excitement, Lord. No, that's okay, because what? We're doing his will. 
We're here for his glory. We're doing exactly what he's asked. So Paul doesn't lose heart. That's the one thing that I've been super encouraged with going through the book of Acts with you guys over this last year. He doesn't lose heart at all. He knows that he is an ambassador for Jesus. And I want you guys to know, because we understand what an ambassador is, politically speaking, but in Bible times, the word ambassador wasn't tied connected at all with politics. It just means that I'm a messenger and I'm an ambassador. I'm a messenger of the gospel. I'm going to go speak of Jesus in the resurrection. Okay, So we have Paul. He understood what his call was. So every believer, we know that Paul had a special mission given to him, but every single believer is a missionary. Okay, great. The Turners are hanging out in Michigan, planting a church. Great, they were down in the Bahamas. Great, they fellowshiped with us for years. Great, before then, they did ministry. Great, but they get it. They're missionaries. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't even matter if you're at home or at play. Whatever we do as believers, we're missionaries. Okay? We had a friend and her husband last night stay with us. They're missionaries in Jordan. A lot of Muslims there. They were in Kyrgyzstan for a while, you know, and they just have a heart to do missions. But wherever they are, you're doing missions. And it was cool because I was just reminded, you know, a sister in the Lord said, hey, you guys be so encouraged. God's doing so much through you right here in Kaka. You are missionaries. And it is, yeah, we are missionaries right here where we are. And we need to have that mindset as believers. And missionaries are what? Ones who are sent. Okay? And are we sent? Absolutely. What's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. It doesn't mean that you have to go on the mission field or move away to be able to do that. You do that wherever you are, especially mom and dad with children in the home. Your greatest mission field right now is your children. Seize that moment, that opportunity in life. You know? And just through you loving your spouse well, training your children in the Lord, you're going to be a light, and there's going to be opportunity to share your faith with others. So... One who carries a message. I love John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I sent you. You guys remember Jesus saying that? Think about that. He's speaking to his disciples. I've sent you. Some of you guys think, well, I don't feel special. I don't feel like there's a call in my life. No, if you are in Christ, you are the fragrance of Christ. Wherever you go, you are salt and light. I hope you guys are encouraged by that. Landon, why are you beating this drum this morning? Because I think it's easy for us as believers to forget who we are sometimes. Why we're here. We get so caught up in the stuff, the holidays, making the turkeys just right, you know, that we forget. God, what is my purpose? You've given me purpose. That's right. I'm an ambassador for you, Jesus. So we have Paul. In Paul's day, Rome had, very two, had two different provinces okay, that each related to the Roman government. Rome was in power. Okay? They were ruling the known world of the day. And they dealt with this uh, different societies in, a different, um, in different manners. There was a senatorial provinces that were made up of people who had submitted to Rome. Okay, we get it. You guys are in power. Caesar is king. We'll do whatever you want. We want peace. We're just going to go with the flow. We'll do our part. You do your part. We'll work together. We'll keep the peace. And then there was the imperial provinces. And however, these guys, they were very uh, rebellious. Okay? (laughs) They didn't like being brought under Roman rule. Okay, they had uh, a lot of problems that they were creating for the Roman Empire of the day. So Rome would send ambassadors to these imperial provinces, uh, but not to the senatorial ones. So Christians are God's ambassadors to the world because the world is at war with God. Do you understand that? If the world was okay with God, we wouldn't have a mission. We wouldn't be sent. Everybody would be in a place of, yeah, God, you're right. You're the creator. I'm the creation. This is the right way to work with you. But that's not the way it is. 
The world is very backwards. We're at war with God. Even those who say, I'm not at war with God, (laughs) you know, you just need to ask a few questions and it'll be revealed very quickly. (laughs) You are absolutely at war. You're being your own king, your own Lord. You are calling the shots. You think you're God. You're not. And by you doing that, you have proclaimed war on God. So, we have that happening today. And we read that. You guys can check out Romans chapter 5. and uh, just lays that out. Okay, Verse 10 specifically talks about us being enemies of God. So through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the world, okay, God has been reconciled to the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 lay that out. But the world, what's the problem? They will not repent. Prideful they will not repent and be reconciled to God. And for this reason, God must deal with this rebellious world as Rome dealt with this imperial province. So he must be uh, be sending ambassadors with his message. And it's a message of what? Of peace. Even though we're at war with him, he is the Prince of Peace. And this is the message that we get to bring to the world. Hey, we have a God who loves us. He laid down his life. He made the sacrifice. He made the payment that we can finally be at peace with our maker. We can be forgiven. We can have standing with him. We can have a relationship. It can be good. But so many people are saying no. No. So, the total idea of grace, this act of grace, for God has every right to, to send his angelic armies to judge this world of sin, but he hasn't. He's extended this mercy. Instead, he offers this peace and forgiveness to sinners. So, let's take a look here. We're going to see Paul being this messenger. He was happy to share this message with anybody that would listen. That's one thing I loved about Paul. Any opportunity in the jail, on the streets, you know, before rulers, whoever would listen, he would share his story to. So this time it would be, uh, be a king, which I think is pretty cool. So let's pick it up in chapter 25 of Acts. It tells us in verse 1, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against God, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered Paul, or that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when they had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, being a man pleaser, okay? Not good. We're to be a God pleaser. But Festus wanted to please the Jews, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. The Jews, I have done no wrong. And as you very well know, for I am an offender, or have, or for if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying, but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. And then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you 
shall go. So, sounds like the same story again, doesn't it? <laughs> in a lot of ways. So we have the scene here in Caesarea. Uh, Paul has been there now in prison for two years. Think about that. He knows what God, if you recall previously in chapter 23, I think it was, God said that, hey, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to go. But this is all shaking out in Jerusalem. He knew that wasn't God's will. He knew he wasn't to die there and be there. So two years, he is there. God is, may have spoken to you guys, has promised you something or told you something. And you're like, well, when is it going to happen, Lord? Okay, Patience is a good thing. If God has spoken, he's going to do it. Maybe it's just not in our time frame or what we think. There may be a time that he's preparing our hearts to do that something. Or maybe you're just fine. Your heart's in the right place. You're equipped. You're ready. But the purpose, the mission that God has for you, maybe their hearts aren't ready to hear and receive yet. Maybe he has to do a work there first. Whatever the case is, Lord, your will be done. Your timing is perfect. Just keep me sensitive to your spirit. <laughs> Lead well. So, we have Paul here. Um, he's now before Felix. Well, actually, Felix is gone. Now this guy is Festus. He's now the new governor. When Festus took over for Felix, uh, he was about 70 years of age at the time, and he actually only served two years. He died in office. Okay, uh, So that's a little bit about Festus there. Festus is the governor, uh, and he decides to visit the providence of Jerusalem. The religious leaders in Jerusalem see an opportunity for them to renew their charges against Paul. It's like, all right, we got a new guy. We got his ear. Let's finally kill Paul. Let's get it done once and for all. Um, and it's sad because we still have people that are that hostile towards Christians today. You know, I mean, the largest church shooting in America just happened a couple weeks ago. It's like, why was somebody so bent at believers? You know, there is that hostility that, hey, I just want to kill you Jesus people. Um, so, uh, the religious leaders there in Jerusalem um, are wanting to bring these charges. And there really is this root of bitterness within Paul's enemies that just seemed to grow deeper and deeper in the soil of their spirits during these two years' absence. Some of the people who have been most hostile towards me, I've ministered to Muslims, you know. They're peaceable. I had some of them that got hot-headed and threatened in ways. But the ones that are the worst have been atheists. And they don't, like, I can understand where a Muslim would be coming from. I don't understand where you atheists is coming from. Because if there is no God, who in the heck cares what I think and believe? You know, but they know deep down there is a God and they are rebelling so stinking hard. Again, that's what's going on. And that's why they get so hostile towards Christians. Um, and that's why we need to pray for them. <laughs> um, so this, is, this bitterness has grown over this two-year absence. Now, the first encounter with Festus for these, uh, for these Jews, they're like, hey, good to meet you, Festus. Glad you're here. Now, do us a favor. Kill Paul. <laughs> you know? and that's, that's what they're doing here. And of course, their plan was not for justice. They could care less about justice. Their plan was just to ambush and to have Paul killed. So we see a similarity in this to spiritual warfare. The hatred of the devil towards us never diminishes. I hope you guys understand that. He hates that you are in Christ, that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you are children of the King of Kings. Okay, He hates that. And that's never going to change. You see, he knows just how influential a spirit-filled Christian can be. Satan's completely aware of that. He's always on attack. So religious leaders... Uh, tell all these false accusations here about Paul. These riots, uh, insurrection, and, uh, and plague, uh, the society of the day. Festus says, hey, I'm not bringing Paul down here, but if you want to come to Caesarea, I'll hear the matter there. Okay, I'll, I'll hear you there. So the Jewish leaders come down to Caesarea. Paul has brought forth uh, these charges 
are, are levied against him. So when Paul is permitted to answer, he just says, they're not true. <laughs> None of it's true. And they just continue to consist here with that, or persist. Uh, Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, says to Paul, will you go up to Jerusalem then to face your charges there? And it's in that moment that Paul exercises his right as a Roman citizen, as we looked at before and studied before. He appeals then to Caesar. Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I, I want to talk to Caesar. I appeal to him. So why did Paul appeal to Caesar? That's the question we got to ask. For one thing, he knew his destination was Rome. <laughs> right? The one thing I know, God, I've been sitting here two years. You told me I'm supposed to be in Rome. If I appeal to Caesar, guess what? That's my ticket to Rome. That's how I'm going to get there, right? It's the fastest way for him to get there. So Paul also knew that the Jews had not given up their hopes on killing him. So I think he was very wise to stay under the protection of Rome. So appealing to Caesar, Paul forced the Roman guards to take him to Rome. For Festus is taken back by this in verse 12. He asked his counselors, can he do that? Can he make this appeal? Yes, right? Verse 12 you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Now enter Agrippa and Bernice, verse 13, and after some days King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festa, Festus. So Agrippa II here, uh, he was the last of the Herods that we've read about in the scriptures. The first of the line uh, was Herod the Great, he was the one who killed the babies in Bethlehem. We know that with the Christmas story. They wanted to kill Jesus, so they killed all the babies. Um, that came from Herod the Great. Um, also his son, Herod Antipas, he was the one who had John the Baptist's head uh, on the platter. <laughs> okay, you had him beheaded. And then his grandson, Herod Agrippa I, put the apostle uh, James to death by sword. Now his great-grandson, Agrippa II, has been appointed as the tetrarch for Galilee. Now he was a Roman vassal, but all, all the Jewish Roman historians, they all agree that this Agrippa had great mental ability. Okay, um, Experts, uh, he was an expert in all the affairs dealing with the Jewish people. Okay, with with him was Bernice, described in literature as being ravishly beautiful, okay? She was actually, you guys remember, we talked about uh, Drusla? They were sisters, okay? So there's a connection there that you might have not known. The wife of the previous Roman governor, Felix. But she was also the sister of her own husband, Agrippa. <laughs> kind of weird, right? They were full brother and sister, and yet contrary to the uh, the, the law of the Jews, they were living together in this incestuous relationship. History also tells us that uh, Bernice would eventually leave Agrippa for Titus. You guys remember the Roman uh, who came and they had the temple destroyed? Uh, she went back with uh, General Titus uh, to marry him, but that was short-lived in Rome, and then she came back uh, to Agrippa uh, following a, that short stay in Rome. But Bernice was a shady lady, okay? <laughs> yeah, and Agrippa was no angel. You guys kind of have a picture of what? <laughs> this, is, this is the rulership of the day uh, for, the, for the Jewish people. Thus, many historians say that they deserved each other. They were just so messed up. Um, so it's before this moral uh, decadent couple enslaved by their own lust and passion that the Apostle Paul is now coming to appear before. So try to put yourself there. Think about what Paul is facing. So he shows up in Caesarea. Let's look at verse 14. It says, When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before king, saying, This uh, is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders and the Jews informed me, when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. And to them I answered, 
It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has the opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay the next day, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I suppose, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about certain, a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning the matters. But when Paul appealed to be, or to be reversed for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself tomorrow, he said, and you shall hear him. So Festus here, uh, lays out the story for Agrippa and says, I want to hear him from myself. I want to hear him. Um, verse 23, So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, okay, they had entered the auditorium and the commanders and the prominent men of the city, and Festus' uh, command Paul was brought in. So this great pomp or pageantry, Kind of picture what's going on here. Great pomp, uh, fantasia, fantasy, a great spectacle. So there's no scene of more pomp, you know, uh, and circumstance in all of the New Testament. This was a huge ordeal. Bigger than when they brought Jesus, okay, before the rulers. So the place of hearing, it was the amphitheater there on the beach in Caesarea, which they've undug. It's a beautiful theater, just huge. Um, it would have been packed out, okay, this day to see this go down. People would have been dressed up. Soldiers would have been standing there on guard. Dignitaries would have been in attendance. Paul is brought in. And think about the contrast. What a contrast with the Apostle Paul coming in. We have Agrippa and Bernice there. They would have been wearing uh, purple robes, okay? Speaking of royalty, they would have had crowns upon their heads. Festus would uh, no doubt have been there in a scarlet robe, which a governor wore on such occasions as this. And then we have Paul brought in. What's he dressed in? Prison garb. <laughs> I'm a prisoner. I'm shackled to two Roman guards. This is how the apostle comes walking in between uh, before all these guys who are all dressed up. So he is unimpressive in his personal appearance. We're told in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul uh, described his own appearance as being physically weak. So we have this physically weak little man <laughs> coming in before this royalty to be heard to figure out what we're going to do. Are we going to kill you or not? Okay, that's what's going down. Historians verify that Paul was uh, a short man. He had bow legs. He had a long hooked nose, a uh, little hair, uh, spiritual dude. Um, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, and they said he had really runny eyes. Okay? So, yet here we have this little man, and he commanded the attention of the entire Roman uh, city of Caesarea there. I think that's pretty awesome. And I also want you guys to note the contrast between the principal players here. We have Agrippa and Paul. One of them is in purple. The other's in this prison guard. One is on a throne. The other, he's put in his shackles. One is wearing a crown. The other is in chains. Agrippa is a king, but he's in slavery to sin. Right? And then we have Paul, who's a chained prisoner, but he's rejoicing in the freedom and the forgiveness that he has in Christ Jesus. So Agrippa is an earthly king who could not free Paul for himself. You see, Paul is an ambassador of the king who had freed him and who could free Agrippa from the damning effects of sin. 
And we see then in verses 24 to 27 here, guys, Festus lays out the situation once again for the king and to the crowd. Festus says to King Agrippa that Paul has appealed to Caesar, and if I'm sending him to Rome, I need a reason. So that brings us to chapter 26. Let's read here. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore I beg you to hear me patiently. So why is Paul so happy to talk to Agrippa here? Well, it's because Agrippa understood the Jewish culture, their traditions, and their religion. He's like, hey, this guy actually knows. He's going to have some understanding about what I'm about to lay down. Okay, So he was pretty stoked about that. Paul was happy to talk to anybody about Jesus. So Paul shares with King Agrippa, and he is going to use the Jewish background to build this platform of expressing this radical, or how radical it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So first he points out that even the Jews uh, present, that they couldn't, or that they actually could testify that he was, um, had this Pharisaic background. Okay, that he was a Jew, like a big-time Jew. So let's read verses 4 and 5 here. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, and if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. So, um, in the second here, uh, he's, he was waiting for the promise of the Messiah. Okay, he lays out then in verse 6, And now I stand, and I am judged for the hope of this promise made by God to our fathers, and to this promise of our twelve tribes, everlasting, uh, or earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain, for this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. And then addressing himself to the entire court here, he's asking this amazing question in verse 8. Check this out. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Isn't that a great question? Think about that. You see, certainly the Jews should not think it indescribable or <clears throat> incredible, okay? The rising. For if you look at their own history, okay, what, what does the Jewish history have? In the beginning, God created. Okay, whoa, that's miraculous. That's huge, right? He created all things, okay? And then they have the deliverance from Egypt. They have the Red Sea, them walking through that. They have manna from heaven. So why should it seem like an amazing thing that God could raise the dead? Okay? And I think that's a reasonable question. What are you guys thinking? Why are you saying there's no resurrection? You know, this is God we're talking about. He can do anything, okay? Um, so Paul's asking this question. Of course, he's referring to the resurrection of Christ. So the same question could be asked today. People have trouble with miracles because they fail to comprehend the power and the reality of our God. You know, even within some churches. Literally. I know brothers and sisters, I believe they're born again, they're going to heaven, we're going to hang out with them for all eternity, and they don't believe that God can heal anybody today. That was just something back then. He's, no, God can't do that anymore. Can't, what are you telling God what he can't do? And he's like, wow, your God's small, you know? We got we to gotta realize that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a big God. God can heal if he wants to heal. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. So, here we have Paul making this argument for the resurrection. So, is there anything too hard for God? So, do you think God, who made the vastness of the universe and the intricacies of a little bitty atom, 
<laughs> can raise the dead. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And I think it really comes back to our view on God. It all depends on your view of God. I read this this week. Uh, J.B. Phillips was right in his contention that sometimes our God is indeed too small. That's our problem. Why don't we go big? Because we don't believe our God's big. Man, if you've rightly divided the word, if you trust the word of God, you're going to say, where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's why we need to be in the scriptures. Okay? We stand in awe. I read his word and it's just like, man, you are glorious. You are, you are so good. You are so awesome. There is nothing you can't do, God. You know? We need to be working out of that place. But so many Christians, what are they trying to work out of? Well, this mission needs to get done. Suck it up. Let's go do it. <laughs> no, it's not a good place to be working out of. So, uh, there's a great argument today about creation. Okay, we see it going on. Why not the resurrection? I don't even like debating creation anymore. I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, even the heavens declare <laughs> the glory of God. For somebody to say there's no creator, I mean, like, those are my atheist angry friends. <laughs> they, they know there's a God and they just be willing to believe the most stupidest things. Nothing blew up. That's my faith. Oh, stupid. Nothing blew up. You're going to believe in that. Nothing made everything. You believe that. And you think I'm nuts that I believe that there's an all-powerful God who... You know, it's not even worth... Let's talk about the resurrection of the dead. Let's talk about something, you know, that's actually going to make you have to think and reason because it's a fact. It's a fact that Jesus raised from the dead. You can't argue that. People used to argue that. But the smartest people in the world who are not even believers, some of these uppity-ups and stuff, they don't even debate that fact. It's so well testified. You can't argue it. They know he was crucified. They knew he was buried for three days. And the fact is, he was alive. How do you explain that? God, he's able to raise the dead. Are you going to be raised or not? I hope so, you know? So we can really flip that around today, you know? You talk about the empty tomb. Great evidence that this is true, guys. We can believe the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. We can believe it all. Jesus taught it. He quoted it. Uh, referred to the miracle stories. Jesus rose, right? Which means it's true. If he didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. We're all wasting our time here today. We could have slept in, <laughs> Um, but he did raise from the dead. Therefore, our faith is not in vain. So most of us doubt the power of God, uh, but we doubt his willingness, or we don't doubt the power of God, but we doubt often his willingness to intervene uh, into personal situations. Would you guys agree with that? God's all-powerful, but I don't know if he really cares about this, really cares about what I'm struggling with, what I'm going through, you know? No, he does care. Okay. He cares about you guys a lot more than me because he counts all the hairs on our head. I mean, <laughs> he's numbered those. Like, that's how intimately involved he is with, oh, yes, I got some beer. <laughs> there we go. But the thing is, he cares for each one of us, guys, deeply. Do you know that you are so loved by your maker? So loved. Even if you're not in Christ, he loves you. He died for you. He wants you. He wants you to spend eternity with him in his home. <laughs> That's how much he loves us. But there's a lot of people who say, I don't want you. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want a heavenly father. I don't want a, a God, a Lord, someone who's there for me. <laughs> I'm going to do it myself. Shame on us. So why should he care about us? Well, the answer lies in the cross. You look to the cross. If you doubt that God loves you, look to the cross. Okay? God demonstrated his love towards us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, right? Romans 8.32 says, If God did not spare his own son that we might be saved, shall he not freely give us all things pertaining to life? Do you guys understand? He cares about that. Great, you saved me, but you don't care about this little stuff in my life. No, he cares about the little things, the big things, everything. He cares about guys, Okay? He's given us these things. So he will supply everything that's good for me. How do I know? Because he already gave me the very best in giving his son as a sacrifice for my sins. Okay? 
So Paul's third argument is to dem- demonstrate how sincere he was in his commitment to uh, or his beliefs by the way he was being persecuted persecuted the church look at verse 9 indeed i myself thought i must do many things contrary to the name of jesus of nazareth this i also did in jerusalem and many of the saints okay um so here he's addressing himself as the whole court you know as he asks this amazing oh sorry wrong page i gotta finish up the verse going back Okay, he talked about he shut people up in prison having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, um, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and I compelled them to blaspheme. So pretty much a gun to the head, right? And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Before Paul came to faith in Christ, He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he couldn't stand the people of the way. These Christians. I want them all dead. Okay, They're all going to be thrown in prison. I mean, that was his life. Okay, It wasn't just the people in his own backyard. He was on a mission. He was going to other cities to find these Christians. But on the road to Damascus, that all changed. Look at verse 12. While thus occupied... I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. And at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard to kick against the goads. And so I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. So Paul essentially here is saying, Hey, I came to realize Jesus had a plan for me all along. (laughs) That's what he's saying to King Agrippa. Okay, I had my plan. I was doing my thing. I thought I was religious. I thought I was doing the right thing. But guess what? God had a plan. (laughs) He had something else in mind. So he was making me into something. Okay, make. It means to handle for oneself in advance. So Christ has been working in Paul's life up to that very moment to make something out of Paul that would serve his eternal purposes. And what was it, guys? Well, he had been handling Paul in advance to make him, uh, make of this proud and violent man a minister. I'm going to make you a minister of the gospel. You're going to go and share of me. And again, what's a minister, guys? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Minister means an under rower. It refers to a lowly servant on a galley ship, right? So the purpose of an under rower was to get the people above deck to their destination. That's the job of a minister, guys. That's my job. I want to get you where God needs you to be, wants you to be. <laughs> That's all I can do. And sometimes it's hard. I told you before, sometimes there's brothers and sisters who keep telling the same thing over and over and over again. You know, and sometimes, guys, all I can do is just give a little nudge. A little nudge. A little more. A little more. That's why just taking time to seriously study the Scriptures, taking the time verse by verse, what is that going to do? Okay? It's going to get us closer to Christ. It's going to keep pushing us in the right direction. It's going to get our eyes on the Lord, okay? Because the Lord hasn't asked me to help you guys have a great life here. Everything happy, rich, successful, healthy. I don't see that in scriptures, okay? We're living for what? Eternal things. Where should we be storing our treasures? Eternity, okay? We're living, we got the big picture, and it's my job to serve you guys in that way. And honestly, guys, we're all called to minister. We're all called to serve one another. 
I encourage you, if you're not praying specifically for a brother or sister that you know in the Lord on a regular basis for their walk, okay, for their purpose, I encourage you, just look around the room. Maybe you don't. Just pick somebody. Hey, I know them. They go to my church. Start praying for them. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be encouraging one another. Okay? How do we do that? It's by coming together. If we're forsaking fellowship, that isn't going to happen. God wants this. We are a body working together. We need each other. We need to be encouraging each other. And that's why it's good to do this on Sunday mornings. It's good to be together. Because if we do forsake fellowship, what ends up happening Our thinking gets really messy really quick and we get to a point, well, I don't need church anymore. Well, actually, I don't even need you anymore, God. It's not a good place to be in, okay? We need to have our thinking right and that's what the body does. It provokes us. Iron sharpens iron, right? So, uh, I think this is a perfect example of Paul's life and ministry. He lived to get people to Jesus, right? Get them to the destination. That was his whole life. He actually said in one place in Scripture, I would lay down my life. Like, I would be a curse, not just die and go to heaven. I will be damned to hell for all time if it means my countrymen would come to faith in Christ. Wow, what a heart of a brother. He grabbed a hold of his ministry. He understood, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to follow my Savior who laid down his life. I'm willing to give up everything, even if it means that I'm eternally separated from my God. If it means others, I mean, what a heart. What a, you wonder why God used this man the way he did. It wasn't just like, oh, you're a Pharisee, I'm going to make you be an apostle. You know, no, he knew the heart of Paul. And when truth was revealed, Paul, all right, this is right, God, I am so sorry. I thought I was doing right, I repent. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, I love what Paul wrote. He said, he said, for what is our hope? What is our joy as being ministers? What's our joy? What's the crown of our rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. I mean, that's the greatest thing, you know? Some people think, yeah, you know, you, you sow to the Lord, we're going to reap a huge harvest. If we're, you know, banking up in our heavenly account, we're going to have an awesome mansion, blah, 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 blah. Guys, I think the reward is going to be those who are going to be in heaven because we took the time, we laid down our lives, we made the sacrifices to pour into them, to love them, to serve them, to preach the gospel to them. I think that is what we're going to get stoked on when we're... <laughs> You're here. You believed. Yes. You know, that's what it's about. And that's Paul's heart behind what he said there in 1 Thessalonians. So Paul said, uh, Jesus told me this is what my mission in life would be. Verses 17 and 18 he says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow. So the transforming power of the gospel here. Open their eyes. Why? Because sin blinds. It's so hard. I've wept in front of unbelievers before. I'm trying to reason with them, arguing with them, because I don't want to see them go to hell, but they're just so blind, they just cannot see at all. But we need to. We need to share the truth. It's the gospel that enlightens the eyes, guys. They need to hear the truth. So... Sin blinds. It blinds us to consequences. No idea of the bondage that is going on or it's going to lead to, how destructive it's going to be to, you know, adultery it's going to lead to, destroy a family. People just don't think about that stuff. You know, I'm just going to party with my friends, have a few drinks, 
you know, wow, how did I become an alcoholic? Why, why is that the only thing I want to do is go drink now? You know, people don't think about the consequences of sin. So second, guys, um, sin blinds people to the nature of Jesus. It blinds people to the uh, nature of Jesus. If we think about the original lie, okay, God is holding back on you, right? Back in the garden, God's holding back on you, okay? He doesn't want you to know all that you can know. There's more for you. You can be like him, you know? Um, Satan still is telling that same one, okay? (laughs) Isn't he? Think about it. He's still saying that same old lie today. Jesus is a killjoy. He wants to keep you from having fun, okay? And nothing could be farther from the truth. John 10.10, Satan does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. That's the truth. Jesus is not a buzzkill. (laughs) He's come to give us life, true joy, true happiness. Okay, it's in him. And not only was Paul to open the men's eyes, okay, he was to turn men's lives from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. So here's a description of humanity in its lost, broken, fragmented condition. You see, Satan's goal is to put men into bondage. And again, sometimes uh, that is manifested in a blatant way. Okay, people are bound by drug addiction, pornography, violence. Uh, It never starts there, though. It starts really subtle, doesn't it? That's how Satan works. Okay, a little leaven leavens a whole lump, right? (laughs) And just gets you going in this direction. Um, Bondage of living for self-gratification. Living to please self rather than God. Okay, our culture especially, we are so self-centered. What am I going to get? It's all about me. You know, we have more. I was looking, I was putting my clothes away last night. You know, Sunday doing a bunch of laundry. I'm hanging up my shirts. I'm like, why do I have so many clothes? (laughs) You know, there's so much more we could be using our money for, for the kingdom. You know, it's just perspective. And I think that's something we grow in as believers. But that's the way we've been raised. It's all about self-gratification. And self always equals sin, guys. It really does. Um... So I'm not saying that clothes are bad. <laughs> we need clothes. You guys understand what I'm saying? But when we're focused on us, it gets ugly. When our eyes are upon the G- on Jesus, man, things fall into place. They work out. We have purpose. People are getting saved. It's beautiful. Um, so it's interesting if we think about it, okay? Because there's still people. Satan doesn't care how lost a person is. He doesn't care just as long as they're lost. Okay? Satan doesn't care if you're here this morning just because your spouse dragged your butt here you know, and you're trying to please them or I want to be a good person. You, know, you can sit here in church your entire life and still be lost. Maybe not as lost as the next guy. Maybe you know truths about the gospel, but you don't know Jesus. You haven't truly repented. You haven't truly given your life to him. You're just going through some religious junk (laughs) you know it doesn't work see that's what satan wants um so it's interesting we think about um people being lost okay as long as they're still in darkness it's it's interesting when we consider hell and what the scriptures speak of in regards to hell it's described in the bible as being outer darkness have you guys ever really thought about that okay and if you think people just cease to exist Okay, if they don't believe in Jesus after they die, that they don't really go to hell. Read your Bible. Um, <laughs> Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He speaks about these things for, I mean, it is a real place. Okay, it's not because God is angry and ticked and doesn't love us. No, he loves us. Okay, he wants to extend mercy, but he's just. You know, and if people say, I don't want you, God. I don't want you as my God. Get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. God's going, all right. Do whatever you want. You're going to reap the consequences. You're a sinner. This is a fair judgment. This is what you get. So we have hell, outer darkness. And that is going to hell. It's going to be so dark. You're going to feel the darkness. 
I know some of you guys have taken you know, trips where you've been in a cave or maybe your basement's really dark where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. That's an eerie feeling, isn't it? That darkness. And that's what it's going to be. God is light. Okay? The absence. I think that's hell. Being absent from God completely. Because rather people acknowledge Him or not, okay, the heavens declare His glory. He's omnipresent. He is here with us. Okay, even an unbeliever is benefiting from God, <laughs> whether they know it or not. They're going to miss out, guys. That's going to be hell. And also we read of hot, burning up, screams, weeping, there's gnashing of teeth. Hell is not going to be a nice place. So men who choose to live in darkness on earth will spend eternity surrounded by the darkness in hell. So that really is Satan's endgame. That is his goal. If you guys don't believe in Satan, read your Bible. Uh, What Paul says here, okay, he says, my ministry, my job, my vision is to open men's eyes to the truth of, or the men's lives from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness, okay? Again, forgiveness is a gift. That's why Jesus died. That's why God became a man and paid the price for us. It is a gift that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's how we're saved. It's faith. So part of the sin problem is it leaves us feeling guilty. Jesus offers forgiveness. Saint, if you're a believer in Jesus and you are living in guilt, that shame, condemnation, that's Satan messing with you. That's all it is. That's what he wants to do. He wants to keep you down. Now God loves you. He's forgiven you. He's set you free. Live in that freedom, guys. You see, what Jesus has done when we know the truth, that truth sets us free. Okay? That guilt, it's gone. Sin's gone. Okay? Wiped away. Clean slate. Forgiven, forgotten. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So think about that. Complete transference. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Okay? Once children of Satan, now children of God. Beautiful. And then we think about the inheritance we have available for those who simply believe. So guys, this is our mission too. We get to live for Jesus, preach Jesus. So pray that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. So Paul says to Agrippa, look at verse 19. We'll wrap this up now. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then in the, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works Uh, befitting of repentance. So repentance is a changing of mind. Okay, Regeneration is when God changes the heart. we got to change our mind first. That's where repentance happens. Some people believe, no, God's going to come change your heart first so your mind can think. I don't see that in Scripture. That's very backwards. It's never, ever laid out in the Bible that way. The gospel is presented. What is Paul doing? Preaching the gospel that their eyes may be enlightened, that they may see... And then with their mind, they repent. They turn and say yes to God. And at that point, that faith, we're saved. And that's when God comes and changes our heart. He gives us a new heart, that promise in the new covenant. Okay? So redemption then is the changing of one state, trading the kingdom of darkness and death for the kingdom of light and life. So this was my message, Paul says in verse 21. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple, and they went about to kill me. Verse 22, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and to great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, and that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now as thus made uh, his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, 
You're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. And when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with him. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. And then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Agrippa, Agrippa here. Paul, you almost persuaded me. Agrippa was deeply touched by what he was hearing. It was ringing true in his heart, and yet he bailed out. A computer whiz, a Boy Scout, and a minister, they were flying on a three-passenger plane. The pilot said, it's not looking good, guys. Our engines are cutting out and we're going down. The problem is we only have three parachutes and I'm taking one. Realizing one of them would be left behind, the passengers, they looked at one another. Immediately, the computer whiz grabbed a chute, calling out, sorry guys, but I've got to take one because I'm the smartest man in the world. And as he jumped out the door, the minister then looked at the Boy Scout and said, I've had a good life. The Lord is real to me. I know I'm going to heaven. So you go ahead, take the last chute, and I'll go down with the plane. That won't be necessary, said the Boy Scout. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. (laughs) (laughs) So too, Agrippa had the opportunity to make it safely into eternity but he grabbed the wrong bag. He grabbed Bernice. And in no time to grab your wife's hand. Doesn't matter what other people think, even a spouse, guys. The thing that matters most is what are you going to do with the gospel? What are you going to do with Jesus? You may be persuaded. Don't bail out. Don't bail out. You guys can see every time Agrippa is mentioned, 25, 13, 25, 23, 26, 30. He's always with Bernice. And there's going to be those Bernices in your life, guys. Don't let them trump the word of God. Okay. She had a hold on him. So, does sin have a hold on you today? Does it have a hold on you? I have a few more pages of notes. We're not going to get to that. But I think you guys get the big picture. Okay? And I don't want any of us, any of you, to be like an Agrippa. That close. And I think there are going to be so many people one day, guys, we're going to be like, man, this is great. Eternity, heaven, this is wonderful. Can you believe God? I didn't know it. Like, I knew God was going to be cool, but this is unbelievable. You know? By the way, we're so-and-so. I think there's going to be a lot of people that we thought were going to be there. They were almost persuaded. They were right there on the line, but they never crossed over. Do you guys understand? Repentance, it's like that. There's no close. You're either in or you're not. I mean, that's, that's what the scriptures teach, guys. Okay? You either believe or you don't. It's black and white. So, Father, this morning we're thankful just for what you did in Paul's life, for the ministry that you called him to, for the message that he brought to the Gentile world. 
and even in his opportunities to speak before uh, a king in royalty, Gentiles and Jews both there. We love his heart, Father, desiring others to know you, to have what he had, eternal life, God. And that's our desire too. All that you have done, all that you have shown us and given to us, Lord, this freedom that we have in you, the hope as Christians. Father, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We ask that you'd help us to share well with this world they need to hear. We pray and ask for boldness. And we do pray, Father, for those who maybe are on the fence, they haven't crossed over. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just open their eyes that much more and just nudge them over the line, get them to where they need to be, just in a place of humbling themselves before their maker and receiving that gift, Lord. We're sorry for our pride. We're sorry that we think we can do it without you, God. We know we fall short. and We're so thankful that you loved us enough to do it for us. You did it all. Thank you for the glorious gospel. Thank you for the grace that has found us. You're a good God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Cool. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. And the Lord be with you all. Amen? Amen. Amen.